We continue tonight in chapter 27, the last two questions. And I hope most of you brought your previous notes so that we can continue in it. If not, I'll just read it to you. Okay, so if you turn to your previous notes on chapter 27, on the sacraments, on the sacraments, if you have it, we'll read question number four together. One, two, reading. There be only two sacraments ordained by Christ our Lord in the gospel. That is to say, baptism and the, Lord, and the supper of the Lord, neither of which may be dispensed by any but by a minister of the word lawfully ordained. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us turn to him in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we have safe journey to thy house and for seeing, seeing us through an entire week, keeping us safe, providing for all our needs. And Lord, we come giving you thanks for many of the sharings that have been given. Lord, truly, thou, have, thou art a God that always provides when we want to serve you. And Father, we pray for cleansing, for washing the blood of Christ again. Then uh, as we come, we acknowledge we've sinned against you in many ways. And Lord, may you show to us, and Lord, grant to us repentance as we desire to follow after you and turn away from our sins. Lord, we pray for all that are in thy house tonight. May you use the facilitators, the teachers, to teach your word and to feed your children tonight. And Lord, for us here, help us to understand this topic well and may it change our lives. Father, we pray for removal of all tiredness, distraction, and help us, Lord, to truly understand this topic. Revive us, Lord, even using thy word. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we continue now. Based on the question sheet, I just want to do a quick revision because we stopped for some time and it's very important that we do not get lost in all the details and forget what we are learning, alright? So the sacraments, there are only two sacraments, there are only two. It is so precious and we cannot misunderstand what the sacraments are or not understand what the sacraments are, only two. Only two. So we must know what they, at a high level, um, is and why did the Lord implement it. So, very quickly, what are sacraments? Sing Yun. Do you remember what are sacraments? Very good. There are the signs and seals, the holy signs and seals. Of the covenant of grace. So right at the beginning, point number one in chapter 27, it states, sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace. They are holy because they are set apart by God, dedicated unto himself, right? That's why they are holy, not just signs and seals, but they are holy, specially set aside by God. And they are signs and seals of the covenant of grace. Now, all covenants, remember we said all covenants have signs and seals. Just like marriage, just like when you sign a contract, just like when you buy a house, right? There are, there are um, documents, there are proofs, there are um, seals that confirm things. So, signs and seals. So, all covenants have signs and seals. 
Now the next one, what are their purposes? Anyone remember what are their purposes? Uh, Alan? What are the purpose of these signs and seals? Because we, we are so engaged in it, but we cannot miss the point. Reminds us of Christ, yes, one of it. What else? Cause us to separate and live unto God. Very good. And to love Him and to serve Him. Right? Now, point number one, so all those are correct. Now, point number one, let us not forget. Every time we think of baptism, every time we think of Holy Communion, these are signs and seals. So we don't just sit there or just sit there and watch or sit there and take. They, every time we see them, they are supposed to have this purpose in our life, to do these things to us, alright? So you look at point number one. Quick revision. Number one is they are instituted by God and to represent Christ, right? Represent Christ and His benefits. So every time you think of Holy Communion, Baptism, it represents Christ and the benefits we have in Christ as believers. Spiritual benefits, of course. And number one. And number two, confirm our interest in Him. Do you remember what that is? Confirm our interest in Him means we are truly His. We are truly His. We belong to Him. That is very assuring. So, Holy Commun- baptism and Holy Communion reminds the believer of our interest in Christ. We belong to Him. That is the assurance of salvation. Okay? And then, the next point is to put visible difference between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world. So, these signs and seals are supposed to remind you and I at baptism or at Holy Communion time, remind us that we are... Jalu can explain this. Ben, what does this mean? What does this statement mean? mean? Uh, that was the one before that, our interest in Him. This to put a visible difference between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world. We are set aside for, for God's use. We are set aside to the church for God's use. Right? What else does it remind you? Um, uh, Cheryl. Belong to the church. Biblical separation. Very important. Do not forget this. We belong to the church and we are separate from the rest of the world. So, baptism is to remind us We are called now to be God's people. You are declaring to be God's people. Holy Communion is to remind us that the profane and the clean and the unclean, separated. We are unto the Lord, we are clean. That's why we can partake of the Holy Communion. So it is biblical separation. This was something that we emphasized a lot when we covered this. Biblical separation. So we cannot not think of ourselves as separate from the world and from all falsehood if we declare to be baptized and we declare we will partake of the Holy Communion by itself. Now remember every time God mentioned, or rather very often when God mentioned um, circumcision, He kept talking about that you are set apart, set apart, right? 
You are different from the world. You are now different. You belong to me. You are different. So that is one key thing you must remember. Then what's the last one? Um, Alan pointed out, engage them to the service of God in Christ according to his word. Baptism and Holy Communion must remind us that we solemnly engage in the service of God in Christ. No Christian can say, I'm baptized, I take Holy Communion, but I'm not interested in serving God. I'm not interested in doing anything for God. I just want to live for myself. That is what it means. Holy Communion and Baptism reminds us that we no longer live for self. No longer live for self because we belong to Him. So we live now for the Lord, service to the Lord. According to His Word, it's very important. We do not serve as we wish. We do not make up our own ideas. So Christians, baptism and Holy Communion must remind us, I cannot live to serve myself. I live now to serve the God that I belong to. Alright, so these four things must constantly be in our hearts. When we see someone go up for baptism, or if any one of you are not baptized yet, you're going to go through that, you must remember these four things. This is what I'm going, what I am um, declaring. Each time you partake of the Holy Communion, remember Christ. The assurance in Christ. We must have a separate life from the world. And we must serve the Lord. Four things. Okay? So, I hope that we remember. Now, we cannot learn about sacraments and then after that, what are the purpose of sacraments? Cannot remember a single thing. Can we remember these four things? Okay? Remember these four things. Two pertaining to Christ, one pertaining to separation from the world onto the church, and the last one about service. Service. Okay? Now, very good. So I'm glad some of you remembered well. Now, let's continue to 27.4. Okay, 27.4. Now, there be only two sacraments. And what are the two? Very clearly, it states in the New Testament, is baptism and the supper of the Lord. Now, neither of which may be dispensed by any, but by a minister of the word, lawfully ordained. So I ask, now, who, what, who should be allowed to conduct baptism, sorry, I, I left out, baptism, please add, conduct baptism and Holy Communion, and why? And who should be the helpers? Do you ever wonder, when you come to church, we have Holy Communion, who are the helpers? Why are they chosen? When we didn't have a pastor in BPCWA, when we didn't have an ordained minister, why is it that we have to wait till like Dr. Toll comes? or some camps, ordained minister coming for camp speaking, then they conduct. Why? Why only a minister that is of the word that has been ordained? Why just not a preacher? So why? So here it just states. Anyone want to guess? How is it? Any ideas? Go back to the Old Testament. What about it? Mm -hmm. So the priest, the ordained priest, 
that have been set aside will be the one that uh, perform the the sacrifices with the people who bought the sacrifice. Okay, that's uh, one very good probable reason. Mm -hmm. What else? Circumcision. But circumcision can be done by others also. Mm. Remember Zipporah, Moses' wife, conducted circumcision. God accepted it. Right? Now, in the New Testament, why? Why do you think so? No minister ordained minister of the word, we don't conduct it. Now, it's something that I had to make sure that session understood um, when I became pastor and why they were the ones that would um, do Holy Communion. Now, why? Baptism, why don't we think about baptism first? Well, key things. Now, one of it is, remember, for example, baptism. Baptism is when someone should know exactly what he's declaring, correct? He's declaring his beliefs, his, he must fully understand, and then he's charged. And then what happens after that? What happens after baptism is the person becomes a church member, right? So conducting baptism is the church saying that we will receive and accept this person into the membership of this church. Understand? Right? So, should it be done by anybody? It would be dangerous because the ordained minister should be the one who knows best. Doesn't mean he's perfect, but he should be the one. Now, some don't. But he should be one, the one who knows best how to assess. He's the one who will teach, assess, and he will be the one who will interview with the board. Interview and ensure that the person is fit to join church membership before he baptizes. So if anybody can baptize, then there's no minister around, and for like our case, there was no pastor at that time, then we have ordinary church members. Ordinary church members who don't really know what baptism is about, never really studied, Westminster Confession of Faith, and they said, baptism, let's just do it. Well, the person is a nice person. Hmm? I had those kind of situations before where we have big arguments. So the person said, I do not believe in the church beliefs. I don't believe in this, I don't believe in this, I don't believe in this. And at the end of the day, people who are not trained say, well, these are not important doctrines. So he said, let's, so let's just take in the person to be a member. Do you think that is dangerous? That's very dangerous, right? So, the minister of the word, ordained who understands what it means, should be the one that does the baptism. So that's very important, right? So one of the reasons is that church membership. Church membership. In fact, in those arguments, when asked, on what basis do you receive someone into church membership? The answer is, the person is a nice person. That's all. One statement. It's a nice person. Nothing else. 
right? So the safeguarding of church membership. Now there's one, one reason why the ordained minister would be the one, the pastor. And he should know, he better. I hope we do not go back to, we don't have days where anybody gets baptized. It's very dangerous. There are people who love to baptize people. Then they like to say, oh, in my life I baptized how many people? Hmm? So it's very dangerous. So one, for example, is, is that. Guardianship of the church membership. What else? What about Holy Communion? Why do you think it should be done by an ordained minister? Vincent, why do you think so? Maybe same reason as baptism, such as? God has appointed. Mm. What are some of the implications for Lord's Supper? Anyone? Right? There is the warning of death, correct? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there's a warning of death. Whosoever partake of the Lord's table unworthily. So there is the safeguarding. There's a safeguarding. The minister of the word, and especially the pastor, have to safeguard. In other words, at times, you have to withhold Holy Communion. Withhold Holy Communion. And the pastor must be the one that be in the know. Now remember, in church membership, there is one area that we do highlight to members joining, and that is you will submit to the authority of the church, correct? And that in there, um, there is the understanding that there is the person can be subject to church discipline, correct? Church discipline. So imagine um, a lay person who does not study God's word, do not really know God's word, exercise all these things in church. It's very dangerous. Now, I'm not saying that the pastor, all pastors study the word of God well. I'm not saying all pastors will know all these things, but the chances of him safeguarding is much higher. All right? So, church discipline is another area where the pastor has to safeguard the ordained minister. Now, and also in Holy Communion, withholding Holy Communion. Typically, it is um, the church minister that will know what church di- disciplines are going on, correct? He will be the one handling it. So when it comes to serving Holy Communion, he would then ensure that the person who is not supposed to take Holy Communion does not take it. Why? Because there is the warning of death. Understand that. It's a serious thing. So the ordained minister of the word should understand these things and um, ensure that it is properly safeguarded. Membership, church discipline, holy communion, withholding, and so on. Okay, so these are some of the practical, important reasons why we have to understand, why we always ensure that it is um, an ordained minister of the word, especially the pastor that should. Now, next one. Now, maybe I ask, should... Okay, I'll ask the next one first. 
Now, who should be helpers and why? Who should be the helpers? Who should be the helpers? Who do you think? Mabel, who do you think should be the helpers? Means I'm standing up there and the helpers. To distribute, correct? Helpers to distribute. Very good. Elders of the BOE. Elders of the BOE. Right? The ideal case, elders of the BOE. Why? Why? Why do you think so? Because church discipline will be known by the BOE. Correct? Church discipline is, is administered by the BOE. So they would know who should be, who, uh, from whom Holy Communion should be withheld. They also know who should go through baptism, who should not. Some people can claim everything, but at a certain point, um, because the BOE, the elders should know the church well. Elders must know the church well. And then they, they should know whether to withhold and to delay baptism and so on. All right, so the, the BOE is the ideal case. It's the ideal case. What happens if we don't have BOE present, enough people? Then, in our case, we exercise discretion until we have sufficient elders. We exercise discretion, we use session members, right? That will be the next most logical choice. Session members. Why session members again? It is easy for the church pastor to inform session members who are the ones that are in the church discipline. So make sure that when you reach there, if the person wants to take, you have to withhold. All right? Church session members, hopefully, are the next level that know the church best as well. Hmm? So, so the next logical group will be session members. Right? Now, um, so sometimes it's very difficult to um, execute these things when it, when, when it has been anybody can do, anybody will do, uh, we'll, whoever we like, we appoint. Then it becomes chaos in church. It becomes very difficult to, to handle anything because some things you do, you do not want to inform ordinary members. Right? So, so these are some of the issues that are involved. Um, what about should... All right, so do you understand some of the practical implications? Now, what about, should the church, if there's a visiting minister, should the church pastor conduct Holy Communion or the visiting minister? What do you think? Hannah? The pastor. Why? Because as long as ordained minister of the word, why the pastor? Right? Number one, because God has called him to be the under-shepherd in the church. So he should be the one that serves the Holy Communion. Number two, he should be the one who knows the church situation best and know what to do in the Holy Communion in terms of the people partaking or not partaking, for example. One example. Alright? So, and also, remember that baptism involves church membership, correct? Involves church membership. Means it is a covenantal family. So that is where the family will partake of the Holy Communion and the person that is assigned to take care of the family will serve the Holy Communion. Right? So these are some principles we apply. Of course, if, for example, Dr. Toh is still around, he's the founding pastor, 
right? That's different. But someone who is not related to our church, um, but invited to speak, um, no pastor, no pastor that loves his flock will say, you do it, right? Which father of the home would say, well, you know, you come to my house, oh, you, you, you lead my family. There's always a holy jealousy for the flock that you desire to be the one that serve the Holy Communion to the flock that you're assigned to, right? So these are some examples. All right, so that is why we do what we do. Um, That's why we we do what we do. I hope you understand why we made some of these changes. It was very difficult. I tell you it was very difficult because when we change, and I explained all these things to the session, I'm very glad they they understood the biblical principle and they agreed with it. It meant that we had to remove many people. It meant that there's only three of them running around like, like crazy during Holy Communion. Hmm? But they all said, Pastor, we understand the biblical principles, we understand the background. Um, it will be more difficult, but we will do it. Right? That's important. That's important. Although they have to run left, right, and everywhere. Um, but they understood the implications. Now, would you like someone to know that you're under church discipline? An ordinary member. Then they come to you and say, oh, this one, church discipline, don't give to him. Right? So some of these are some of the um, considerations we make. Okay, so some, some of the reasons. Any questions? No? Okay. Let's move to the next one. Now, list the sacraments in the Old Testament. That's very straightforward. They are circumcision and the Passover. Now, that's the easy part. How do you know there are signs of the covenant of grace? I ask this question because the next is we talk about New Testament. But we have to talk about the Old Testament first. How do we know that these two are signs of the covenant of grace? How do we know? Anyone want to try? Sujin? How do you know? Okay, circumcision is commanded by God, so all his children must obey. But there are many commands that God gave, but they are not signs and seals, right? Ten commandments are commandments, but they were not signs and seals. Sacraments means they are signs and seals of sacraments, of, of the covenant of grace. So look here, we have the covenant, oops, we have the covenant of grace. And every covenant has signs and seals. Signs and seals. In the Old Testament, before Christ came. In the New Testament, after Christ came. This OT, this NT. Alright? So, how do we know that uh, circumcision and Passover are indeed sacraments? Sacraments mean signs and seals, right? Okay, I think it's quite straightforward. Let's go to um, Genesis chapter 17. God himself said so. That is why we know that they are signs of the covenant. Not signs of anything, uh, signs of the covenant, for example, here. Genesis 17. 
All right, let's read. Let's read verse 11. And you shall circumcise. Uh, sorry, Genesis 17, verse 11. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. Now, this is a token. This word token is translated also in other places as the word sign. Sign, S-I-G-N. S-I-G-N. So God says circumcision in Genesis 17, verse 10. Uh, sorry, verse 11. God says this is a sign between you and I. And this sign will be also for your children. Alright, and the, uh, verse 13, for everlasting covenant. So it's for all his people. And in fact, he says in verse 14, let's read verse 14 together. And the uncircumcised man-child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. It is this serious. So God says when we refuse circumcision, and the family refuse to circumcise their child, it will be cut off. Cut off means put out of the camp, means they are no longer my people. Means you declare, I don't want to be God's people. I don't want to be God's people. So then you don't want, then let you be cut off. In fact, this word is so strong, it can mean die. Please keep this in mind because this is needed for afterwards. This word cut off can mean die. So God says that when you circumcise yourself and the child, you are declaring, I want to be God, part of Jehovah's people. If you don't want, then you say, you're saying that I want to be out of this group of people. That is, that is what it means. Okay? That is what it means. So, so one of the key thoughts about sacraments is being part of God's people. I cannot emphasize that enough. One of the key things about the sacraments is about being part of the people of God. And God takes it so seriously. If you do not want to be part of my people, you may as well die. You're rejecting, you're rejecting God. You're rejecting the faith. You're rejecting these people. It's very serious. Okay, so this is a sign between God and man, His covenant of grace. His covenant of grace. Please know that God, God in this context, in verse 11, is talking about covenant. In verse 14, is talking about covenant. That's why this is a sign. He used the word token. He used the word token, so it is a sign. So how do we know? Because of this verse. It is a sign. It is a sacrament. Now the next one, the next one is Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. Now, shall we read together? Reading. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the house where ye are. And where I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now, what blood is this? We know this scene. This is a very famous scene where God gave instruction to the children for the Passover lamb, correct? This is the um, first instruction, the first Passover lamb. The first Passover lamb. And then he says the blood of the Passover lamb. 
So this is about the Passover. What did he say in verse 13? He used the word, now this blood of this Passover shall be to you a token. Again, is the word sign. Sign. So, for the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, again the word sign is used. The word sign is used. So both, both for circumcision and Passover, they were signs of the covenant. Signs of the covenant. Right? So that is why we always understood them as sacraments. Now I need you to understand this. I took some time to search up verses. Um, it's not in here. To search up verses to make sure that you understand and you know and you believe. Because... It is fundamental to us understanding the New Testament signs and seals. The New Testament signs and seals did not appear by itself, did not suddenly turn up in the New Testament. Old Testament have signs and seals in the covenant with God. And this, look here, this covenant is not a discrete Old Testament, it's different from New Testament. This covenant of grace, as we've established in earlier chapter, is a continuous covenant of grace. And therefore, in the New Testament, there will be signs and seals also. Alright? So you must be convinced these two are specifically the signs and seals. These two are specifically the sacraments. Then you will accept the New Testament signs and New Testament replacements. They did not just appear out of nowhere. Alright? So we go there afterwards, but at least at this point, I want you to understand this. So we've proven Right, so then next time, if you have people, who, friends, who, Christians who do not believe, then you say, it's very clear. God says these are the signs of the covenant. Now, next one, I ask. Question number three. List the New Testament sacraments. Very straightforward, very easy. They are the baptism, or rather water, baptism, and Holy Communion. All right, water baptism and Holy Communion. Okay, so question number three. Now, how can we prove the above, prove that the above Old Testament signs and seals are replaced by these ones? How can you prove? How can you prove? I know some of you may have studied this before, but some have not, so please be patient. Okay, it doesn't want to change color. Oh, okay. How do you prove that this replaced, this too replaced the Old Testament signs and seals? How do you prove it? We've already proven these are indeed Old Testament signs and seals. Now we must prove this. How do you prove it? Then. Circumcision made without hands. That is found in? Colossians chapter 2. Okay, let's turn to Colossians chapter 2 now. I need all of us to be very clear about this. Because when we come to infant baptism, this is also important. But more importantly, you have to understand this because these are signs and seals that God gives to us. We cannot be ignorant of that. All right, Colossians chapter 2. 
Now let's read verses 11 and 12 together. One, two, reading. In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Now here, Paul mentions something called circumcision made without hands in verse 11. Circumcision made without hands. And then after that, he described what this, this circumcision made without hands. In verse 11, he calls it the circumcision of Christ. What is this circumcision of Christ? This circumcision of Christ, he explains in verse 12, is about being buried with him in baptism. Being buried with him in baptism. And then let's read verse 13 together. Then he connects both together. Let's read. And you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, has quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, this word quickened means given life, raised up, and that is why it is linked to verse 12. So, verse 13 summarizes both circumcision and baptism. In other words, the quickening together, both together. You have to be very clear about this. Anytime anyone challenge you, no, um, Water baptism just, just occurred in the New Testament. It just began in the New Testament. It has nothing to do with the Old Testament. Now, the dispensational, dispensational theology, we are the covenantal theology, right? Dispensational theology is, they're all discrete, discrete, all separate. But, so to them, it's not linked. Now, once you don't link that, you will never accept infant baptism. I want to say this again, once you do not link water baptism with circumcision, which is biblical, which we read in three verses, right? If you don't link it, you will never accept infant baptism. You will never, I'll explain that later, all right, when we come to that. So it's very important we understand these things. Otherwise, you will struggle with many theology. I'm not explaining for fun. I'm not explaining to kill time, all right? So these are crucial things that we understand. So from verses, uh, Colossians chapter 2, three verses, makes it very, very clear. Now, let me ask you this. Why is this brought up? Would you know? Why is this brought up? Alex, why does the Apostle Paul have to explain this? Why do you think so? Yes, correct. Why must Apostle Paul explain that water baptism has replaced circumcision? Because there's misunderstanding among the Christians at that time. What misunderstanding? <clears throat> Okay, they have the misunderstanding that water baptism replaces circumcision. All right, even if they have that misunderstanding, why is it so crucial that Apostle Paul explains that? Jason, why do you think so? No idea. Hmm. Right. Um, 
Marie, why do you think so? At that time, there were many of the Christians, they're Jewish from birth, right? Jewish from birth. So many of these Christians. But why must Paul explain to the Jews? Why? Adam, huh? Yeah. Yes. Say again. You are an old one. You are? Uh, no, no. Uh, just, just like uh, Jesus Christ died and uh, it's just some, some, some uh, new one. Uh, oh, the new Jews. Yeah. The new Jews. It is new administration. Why must it take the time to explain this? Say again, Jews and Gentiles, what about it? The Gentiles have been asked, but here he specifically needed the Jews to. The Gentiles don't really care. No circumcision, no, so what? No pain, better. Forget it. That's it. Water baptism, fine. Why does he explain, took the time to explain circumcision made without hands? Now, once he talks about circumcision made without hands, he's definitely addressing the Jews. Alright? Then he say the circumcision of Christ. Then he say all these things. Then he link it to baptism, water baptism. Why? Edda, why do you think? Edda knows. You should know. <laughs> why? Right, very good. Because I remember that I explained infant baptism for covenantal family in your church camp. Now, the Jews, to the Jews, circumcision is extremely important. I can't find an equivalent for Chinese. Maybe it's, I don't know, for Chinese is reunion dinner. I don't know. It's, it's something that they cannot imagine not having. Now, why? 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 Mabel, why? Oh, I asked you already. Grace, why? Why to the Jews, not having circumcision is unimaginable. And especially, you say, hey, I belong to Jehovah. How can I not be circumcised? Why to them is so, such a big deal that Paul had to take the time to explain? Very good. Very good. Remember we read, if anyone would not circumcise his child or himself, let him be cut off from my people. Right? So like Grace rightly put it, if they don't circumcise themselves or their children, it means that they are declaring, I, am, I don't want to be part of God's people. So they are very afraid. They know that commandment. Generation after generation after generation, remember what happened to Moses' child. To Moses' child. Now turn to turn to um, Exodus chapter four, which we'll come back to after this again. All right, Exodus chapter four.
right? Now, we know the story. Moses' child was not circumcised. Shall we read Exodus chapter 4, verses 24 to 26, reading? And it came to pass by the way in the inn that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. And then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. Right? So God cannot, God cannot let Moses to be leader of his people. And yet Moses' own child is not circumcised. Understand? So to God, to, to, to God it's like, you're going to lead my people, and what example are you going to show? So God um, made sure that Moses will circumcise his child. So now here is, so to the Jews, it's unthinkable. To them, they remember Moses' son almost died. So they remember all these things. It's part of being God's people. All right? That is what it means. Now, so when the New Testament came, the moment circumcision was not practiced, when it was put aside, when it was replaced, the Jews would have reacted very badly. Understand that? It's almost like I tell you, forget about Chinese reunion dinner. All the Chinese people will be very upset, right? People in China, they travel long distances in the snow. To go. So to them, it's so important. So to these people, to, to be a Christian and say, oh, you're a Christian now. From now onwards, if you have a child, you don't need to circumcise your child. They were absolutely um, angry and they could not understand. That is why then Paul wrote to the Colossians church and explained, circumcision has replaced, has been replaced by water baptism. Understand that? Okay? So this is very important. It's very important for many reasons after that we will learn. So that is one. Now, next one. So how do you prove very surely that Holy Communion has replaced the Passover? This one is the easiest. Jason, how? This one is straightforward. Say again. That, oh, sorry? 1 Corinthians 11, yes. 1 Corinthians 11, we can turn there. But actually, um, um, one of the key areas that we want to know that, remember, um, what do you call that? Holy sacraments are instituted by the Lord. Right? So we want to see the Lord himself instituting it in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Okay, and we read... Now, in Matthew 26, verse 17 tells us that this is the Passover. This is the Passover. Okay? So this is the Passover night. And the Lord sat down at the Passover meal with the disciples. And it is at this point that in verse 26 to 29, He said the words. Now, as verse 26, as they were eating the Passover, 
That is when Jesus says, from now onwards, this is going to change. So imagine, right? The Passover meal before them, they're eating the Passover meal. And it is when they were eating, as they were eating, now the Lord is now going to do something. He's going to institute a change. He's going to institute a change from now onwards. Verse 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, and said, Take it, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it unto them, saying, Drink it all, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin, of sins. So how do we know? that the Passover is replaced by the Holy Communion. The Lord himself instituted it at this point. Right? So without a shadow of doubt, the Holy Communion replaced the Passover from this point onwards. Okay? So this must be super clear in your mind from these passages. We don't make it up. I know in BBK I may not cover it in so much detail. I just tell you. But it is not made up. Our beliefs and understanding are not just made up. So people who challenge you, no, there's no such thing. You must be able to explain. Now, many things hinges on this. Now, the next one I ask is this. Right, so we've proven. Now, um, what did, question four, what did both Old Testament and New Testament sacraments signify? Um, just now we already mentioned um, in point number one, so you can is the same answer, but really on two big levels. One, it rep- the Passover represents Christ, right? So the Holy Communion always points us to Christ and His sacrifice. Circumcision always points us to being part of God's people, right? So because of the Passover, because of the Holy Communion, we can become part of God's people. Okay, so that is what it signifies. Now, but why, what is the key difference in administration? So look up here. Look up here. Now, Old Testament, circumcision, Passover. Every covenant has signs and seals, correct? God chose to change it in the New Testament, which we read for ourselves. God chose to change it. God chose to change it. Huh? So let me ask you why. God just chose to change it. Okay. But when you look at these two, there is a significant difference. What is it? In administration. Old Testament signs and seals administered administered by this. New Testament signs and seals administered by this. What can you think is a key difference between the administration? You just think every Sunday. If we have Holy Communion time, we have the old way. What it will be? We definitely cannot have carpet. Right? So the Old Testament is bloody. Even Zipporah said, right? Is it Zipporah? Moses' wife. Thou art a bloody husband to me. Your religion is a bloody religion, full of blood. Right? Sacrifices, circumcision. Hmm? So it's bloody. The New Testament, non bloody. Okay? So that's a clear difference. God chose. But why do you think so? Why do you think it's non-bloody? Mm, Douglas, why? Why not continue bloody? Uh, Christ has shed his blood. 
Christ shed his blood once and for all. Right? Christ shed his blood once and for all. Now, the Old Testament people, remember, they always look forward, right? We, we are very familiar with this drawing. The Old Testament people, they look forward to the coming of Christ. So all the blood, 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 blood is to remind them when Christ comes, He will shed His blood for our cleansing, correct? Then in the New Testament, we look backwards. We are very familiar with this also. Christ has already shed His blood. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews keep repeating that. Once, once, once. So when we look back, we do not need to have bloody administration anymore. Once, that's it. Okay, so that is how God work, work out everything. How God work out everything. So please understand this. Now, while I explain all this, I hope we don't forget the four things. Why God implement sacraments. Please don't forget. So as we, as we go through all this, please remember Christ, Christ, church, service. Okay, let's revise. Huh? What's the first Christ? That we belong to Christ. Second one, our interests, our benefits in Christ. The third one, separate the world from the world unto the church. The last one, to live for Him, serve Him, not serve self anymore. Okay, So as we study all this, God wanted us to make sure that these four things, we do not forget. That's why He made it a point to still replace it. He did not say, Christ come, Christ came, Christ shed His blood, and then over, let's, let's move on. He still made sure there were signs and seals that replaced the Old Testament signs and seals. Okay? Who like to get married and then after marriage, then you spend a lot of time before marriage looking for the ring for each other. You took a lot of uh, effort to choose, a lot of significance and everything. Then after the wedding day, oh, throw away already. You don't, right? So the signs and seals are very important. So God makes sure that are replacements. So at this point, I want to say this. Why do I keep taking time to explain all this? These are things that God planned very carefully. God took the effort to replace them. God took the effort to make sure that we continue to have them. For to remind us, we must know them. We cannot be ignorant of them. And that's one reason. That's the important reason. Another reason is when people challenge this understanding and belief of sacraments. You must know the Bible verses to defend it. Okay? Valerie, why do you want to defend this? Number one, I know that my faith is correct. I understand these things correctly. I see it from the Bible. Number two? Not be stumbled. I will not be stumbled means I don't fall into wrong thinking, right? That's what you meant. I don't fall into wrong thinking. So number one, I must really know that what I believe is correct. When you don't get this clearer, I say again, there are many things about the faith that you can't link and you won't accept. Number one. Number two is, 
then I don't fall. I don't get deceived. If someone tells me, no, New Testament, water baptism just stand alone. It just appears in the New Testament. That's it. Then we begin to, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. How would you like? Now, wife, someone keeps coming to tell you, your ring is not important. Your ring is not important. Your ring is not important. How would you like that? No, it is important, right? So, God gave us these signs and signals. They are important. Don't fall into a wrong thinking. I honestly believe that Satan will come up with wrong doctrines, false teachings, so that we forget signs and seals. When you forget signs and seals, look here. When you forget signs and seals, what will happen? You forget signs and seals, you don't link it to this, right? You don't link it to this. You forget signs and seals. You forget that you're in a covenant with God. You forget that you are God's covenantal people. You forget the church is a covenantal family. You forget that co- covenant has a purpose. Remember we started all those things? There are many things then you will begin to live wrongly. You begin to live wrongly. Alright, so it is important that we understand this and it's firm in our hearts. It's firm in our hearts. Now the next one we move. And this is the one that is constantly challenged to the faith. Question number five, which I forgot to leave space for you to answer. I'm sorry. Um, maybe you can answer at the bottom of the page. How do you answer if someone challenges you? The New Testament water baptism did not replace the Old Testament circumcision as a sign and seal. Why? Because females were not circumcised in the Old Testament. Right? So cannot be. Your church teach rubbish. The, the covenantal, the Presbyterian faith is rubbish. You know, even, even in preparing this, I, I read um, some websites that claim to be um, covenantal, they, they also criticize these beliefs. Our Sunday school material from the regular Baptist press, I think one of the pages actually say infant baptism is a heresy. Hmm? It's a heresy. So you don't understand all this, you cannot accept infant baptism. I say again, when we come to the infant baptism part, this is the foundation for you to understand, alright? Now here, let's go on first. Females were not circumcised. So how can you say that water baptism, which females also go through, is replaced, has replaced infant, uh, baptism, uh, has replaced circumcision? How? How can you say that? Alright, some of you will probably know the answer, I think. Let me try. Uh, Felix. God, this is God's ordinance for the New Testament. Yeah, they say, yeah, this New Testament, just God says, water baptized, that's it. It did not replace the Old Testament sign and seal. Because females were not circumcised. You agree? You agree with the argument? Sounds, sounds like difficult to defend, right? In fact, that was my question for a long time in my life. For a long time. Even in Bible college, I could not answer. I could not bring myself to accept infant baptism. I could not bring myself to accept many things. 
until two things got settled in my mind. One, covenant. Two, signs and seal. Once you, once you understand how God works, everything falls in place. But I could not answer one question. That is why I struggled and I did not take up any church membership in BP churches because I was from a Baptist church. Until I could understand, I could answer this question. Because like Valerie said, how do I know I'm, what I'm believing is correct? Right? If, you, if you're not sure, why do you want to take up church membership? So I would not take up because it's wrong to take up church membership. From the Roman Catholic background, infant baptism and all that. Now, this is a key thing. So how, how to answer that? Who want to try? Shining? Shining will not answer. No. Um, Leah? Leah, you want to try? No. Oh, my question. Sorry, my question was, people say that water baptism did not replace circumcision because in the Old Testament, females were not circumcised. But we baptize females. Right? Sounds logical? You often get this question. Then you begin to doubt whether, we, whether our faith is correct. The males represent the female, right? Um, the males represent the female. So they say that's why it didn't replace. Then, if it replaced, then again the male will represent the female. Just baptize the male. <laughs> Save some water. Hmm? Clearer. Clearer. So that that so the argument they can still keep attacking you, right? Yeah. Okay, so I'll give you the answer. I just want you to think long enough. Sarah, you want to try? It's a different administration and he chose and he chose females to be baptized now. Is that? Yes. Now, that's a correct answer. Remember, this is different administration. Right? This is different administration. In the old administration, it's bloody, correct? In the new administration, it is non-bloody. Correct? Hmm? Administration changed. Must God make it bloody? God chose not to be bloody. Okay, Christ sacrificed, non-bloody. Number one. Now, remember, okay, they w- when, when this argument comes up, by and large, no one would dispute. All right? No one would dispute. No more color. No one would dispute that... Okay. No one will dispute that Passover is replaced by Holy Communion. I say again, eh? by and large in the argument, very few people will dispute that Passover has been replaced by Holy Communion because it's very clear. 
That one is super clear. Christ himself said so. Right? There is one... Is there a difference between Passover and Holy Communion in the New Testament? In the Old Testament, if you do not partake of the Holy Communion, does God issue a threat of death? Hmm? No. God never ever said, if you don't partake of the Holy Communion, let him be cut off. Okay? But in circumcision, did God issue warning of death? Death warning. Okay? Did God issue warning of death for Passover? No. Right? But do we all agree that Passover is replaced by Holy Communion? No one disagrees. Is there death for Holy Communion? There is death threat for Holy Communion, correct? If there is a clear replacement, we have a very clear case here that God did change. God did change how he administered things. Am I correct? God did change how he administers things. So we cannot say, and we should not read the Bible in a way, if, if it's a replacement, means it must be identical. God is sovereign. God can choose. Understand? So, baptism in the New Testament, is there threat of death? No. No death. But in the Old Testament, there is death. So the point is, God changes the administration. God just chooses. So in the Old Testament, the, the females were not circumcised. Females, not circumcised. In the New Testament, females get baptized. Can or not? Can, I have to change. Can or cannot? What's the best way to say it? Is it right? It's up to God to administer. So when I understood that, then it became very clear. Three things. Number one, all covenants have signs and seals, correct? Signs and seals administered in the Old Testament differently by God. God chooses how he administers. Doesn't mean that if it's administered differently, it is not a replacement. I say again, doesn't mean that just because God administers things dif differently in the New Testament, it is not a replacement sign of the Old Testament. Okay? So God can administer it differently, even for a replacement. Very clearly seen in Passover, death, Passover, no death, Holy Communion, death warning. Okay? Alright, so I hope that settles in your heart once and for all. Very clearly. You need to settle this, otherwise you cannot accept many things, um, especially infant baptism. Okay? So, any questions? Wait, I want to make sure, yes, Howard. I think there's a death trap for Passover. Say again? There's a death trap for Passover. What was that? Uh, first born son. For Passover? 
Firstborn son. Um, that was the same for unbelievers also. That part that that was to tell them that if you reject the Passover, you will die. Hmm? Means you reject the Passover lamb, you will die. After, once they agree to the Passover lamb by putting the blood, after that you will never hear God say, if you don't take don't partake of the Passover, you will die. Alright? So that one is about rejecting Christ. Rejecting Christ. So whichever case, you will die. Alright? So after that, no, God never said, you don't take Passover, you will die. Never. Ever. Alright? Okay, so can we be very clear? It did replace. Based on Colossians, the female thing, it's up to God to administer. Okay? So be clear. Now, next one. Let's move to baptism, page, the next chapter. So when I understood that, I understood many things and I happily took up church membership with all my heart. Very important to, be, to have clear conviction about your faith, alright? Actually, let me ask you, how long, who's the longest in this church? Must be those in the fish tank behind. <laughs> Maybe Karen, Caleb, Rowena, probably longer than most people here, right? Right. Did you ever understood the covenant, the signs and seals, the replacement, and being able to explain if challenged as now? Well, I hope the last time you could, but I hope now is very clear. Right? That we know what we believe and it's from the Bible, not made up by men, not made up by Kelvin. It is in scriptures. Alright, so now next. So moving forward, we, we will not be deceived. We will not fall. Now, next chapter, let's read um, 28.1. Um, you have your notes with you. Reading, baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ. Not only for the solemn admission of the party baptized into the visible church, but also to be unto him a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, of his engrafting into Christ, of regeneration, of remission of sins, and of his giving up unto God through Jesus Christ, to walk in newness of life, which sacrament is by Christ's own appointment, to be continued in this church until the end of the world. Now, here they describe baptism. So we're going to cover the sacrament of baptism first. First and foremost, baptism, what is baptism? It's clear. It is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. It states here, which we know from Romans chapter 4, verse 11, is very clear. Um, Romans chapter 4. Verse 11. Now, shall we turn to Romans chapter 4, verse 11, please? I want us to be very clear that here, further affirmation. Okay, Romans 4, 11. Shall we read Romans 4, 11, reading together? And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, 
that the righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Now, circumcision is very clearly stated here is the sign and seal. And if baptism, water baptism replaces circumcision, then water baptism is a sign and seal. So how do you prove that water baptism is indeed a sacrament? By Romans 4.11 and also what we have just proven that water baptism in Colossians replaces circumcision. Alright? So it must be clear in your heart. Don't ever doubt. So my question is this. Now, who instituted the New Testament sacrament of water baptism? Here it says instituted by Christ. Matthew 28:19. We all know it very well. Matthew 28:19. Let me read to you. Christ is the one who said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Christ gave this command. So who gave the um, who instituted the New Testament water baptism? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Not the apostles. And the apostles didn't decide that, mm, I think let's go do some baptizing. Neither was John. I will ask you after if you have time. What about John? Water baptism is instituted by Christ, verbally given, written in the word, given by him. It did not just appear in the New Testament. Understand that. Christ gave that with the intention that it will replace circumcision. I say that again. Huh? To Christ, when he gave this command, go and baptize believers. He is now replacing circumcision for the Jews with this. Okay? That is, what, that is when it happened. He replaced it. He replaced it. Now that we understand that Colossians chapter 2 is indeed a replacement, he replaced it. Now the next one is, did the apostles implement it? Was this so serious? Just like when God told Abraham, make sure that you circumcise your children, just like he told the tribes, make sure you circumcise the children, the tribes quickly did it. They quickly made sure that they keep doing it. Now the question is when Christ say, okay, now it's, circum it's water baptism, no more circumcision, did the apostles say, Lord, we are Jews, you know, Lord, circumcision is more important. Did they go ahead and just drop circumcision and replace it with baptism? Did they? Um, Cheryl, did they? Did they implement this? Did they, did they stop circumcision and implement baptism, water baptism instead, since Christ gave the command? Yes. How to prove that? How to prove that? The beginning of the New Testament church, right? This is the beginning of the New Testament church. So, who wants to try? Valerie, you want to help? No? Acts, Acts chapter. Acts chapter 2. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Okay, now, let's read verses 37 and 38 together. 
37, and actually let's read 37 to 39. Now, one, two reading. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and that ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Verse 39 is infant baptism. Eh? That's why I always read this verse. Now, look at verse 37. The people heard the gospel. Now, remember that there were Jews present. There were Jews present. There were Jews that heard the gospel, including Gentiles. And the Jews and the Gentiles asked Peter, verse 37. When they heard this, their hearts were pricked. Then they said, what shall we do? We want to believe. What should we do next? Verse 38, Peter said, Repent and circumcise yourself? No. They obediently obeyed the Lord's command, go and preach and baptize, not go and preach and circumcise. Right? Old Testament was that, preach and circumcise. You want to be God's people? You believe? Circumcise. From here onwards, they say, believe and be circumcised. They obeyed the Lord's commandment in this replacement. Understand that. Okay, they never talk about circumcision. Now, then he's, so this is where we knew, the apostles knew very clearly, the sign and seal has been replaced. Sign and seal has been replaced. Okay? So, I hope you're clear. How do we, now, how do you know that is, that is in Acts chapter 2, Right? Now, water baptism makes a person a member of the visible church. Vincent, true or false? Um, of the visible church. No, sorry, I said the invisible church. No. No. Why not? Because um, the invisible church is uh, all believers, and we try our best to make sure that they are believers, but ultimately only problems. Mm-hmm. So... So be clear, water baptism does not make you a member of the invisible church. The invisible church is the body of true, saved, born-again believers. Water baptism does not save you. But water baptism makes you a member of the visible church. Okay, it's stated here very clearly. So the day you get baptized, you immediately become a member of the church. Now this is where I find it very interesting. While um, the Baptists reject the concept of water baptism, okay, a new picture. Actually, yeah, I, I won't use new page because I need this page. Don't know what other color to use. Uh, pink. All right. While while the while there are many Christians, the Baptists especially, while they reject that water baptism replaces circumcision, but yet it is still the same practice. They don't realize that they are practicing, or people who reject this belief, um, they don't realize that what they are practicing is actually stating that they agree that water baptism has replaced circumcision. Why do I say that? Why do I say that Churches who reject that water baptism 
replace circumcision, which is a very important concept for infant baptism especially, but yet by practice, they declare that. Ben? No, no. Maybe you don't understand my question. Sujin, listen to my question. People who reject that water baptism has replaced circumcision, but yet today, by their practice in church at baptism time, actually declare the same thing, that actually this is about circumcision, the same as the Old Testament circumcision. How? We just said that, right? I just asked you one question. Does water baptism make you part of a visible church? Yes, right? So even for them, when you are baptized in that church, you become a member of that church. You become part of that people in that church. Remember what is circumcision? We said Passover is pointing us to Christ, right? Circumcision is about what? Angeline, it's reminding us we are God's people, part of these people. When the people physically circumcise themselves, they are declaring that they want to be physically part of these people of God. Understand that? Okay? Do you ever wonder, ever wonder at all? Maybe I should have asked you that in the beginning. Did you ever wonder how come when you're baptized in that church, you become a member of the church? Do you ever wonder? Do you ever wonder, Adrian? Never wondered. But why? why? No one asked. It's because of this concept. Understand that. Why the people, when they're circumcised, they become part of God's people? Because that is the sign and seal. Remember, this is a sign and seal that I declare that I'm part of these people. This is the sign and seal. It's like you marry someone. You wear the ring. This is my sign and seal that I belong, we belong to each other. This is our sign and seal. So when circumcision happens, that is why they become God's people. Same for water baptism. That is why when the church baptizes you, you become net automatically, automatically part of that people in that church. Okay? So when they say, no, 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 it has not replaced, but they're practicing the same concept. They're declaring that, yes, they become God's people because, because um, they water baptize themselves with us. Okay? So that is the identification so I explain sometime, um, I always try to explain, I think I did so here as well, why we stand up, why members only stand up, why non-members don't stand up at water baptism. I always say members of BPCW, please stand, right? Why don't call everybody? Why not? Because when the person is getting baptized, he's declaring that I want to be part of the members, the member of these people in this church, which are the members of this church. Okay? That is what it means. Right? So that's why the members will stand to welcome. So it's, it's this whole concept, part of God's people. Very important. That's why when the lesson here to learn is when you are baptized in a church, when you become a member of the church, you must see yourself as part of the people of the church. Do you understand? If you don't see this covenant, you don't see that you're in a covenant of grace, you don't see that you are with a covenantal people. Your loyalty, your love, your concern, 
your perspective of church will be totally different. Totally different without this understanding. So, when you get baptized in BPCWA, or if you choose to transfer membership to BPCWA, you're declaring, I am part of the people in this church. Okay? Why is it so important? Let me ask you. Alex, why is it so important? To understand this, when I am baptized in this church, I'm a member of this church, I'm part of the people here. Why is it so important? Commitment is number one. Very important. So don't look at baptism, water baptism, and just, that's it. Water baptism must remind you I am part of these people. Commitment. Commitment. That's why it's very odd for people to get baptized in a church, but gravitate to another church in terms of fellowship, friendships, and everything. It's not normal. Understand that. It's like you, you, you're part of a family, but you keep going to sleep at someone else's house, eat with them, go out with them, play with them, not interested in your own family. It's not normal because of the failure to understand what it means. Why do you automatically become because you choose to be? You can choose to be a part of another church. That is why people transfer church membership. When you transfer, then you'll be committed to that family. Understand? So it's a commitment. Of course, all true believers are part of the invisible church. That is true. The true believers in Israel were part of the true Israel. Okay? But God says there are the false Israelites, right? They may be physically part of the tribe, but they may not be saved. So they're part of a physical tribe. So like us, we are part of a physical family. So commitment, number one, very important. Um, that is why I tell people, well, if you choose to be part of another church, take a membership there, I'm happy for you. But it should not be that you keep wanting to come here. Do you think I'm a bad pastor to say that? Some people get very angry at me. Very angry. How can you chase people away? I said, I did not chase people away. I said, you choose. You choose. After you choose, you must commit to the family. Correct? If you choose somewhere else, as long as it's a sound church, I'm happy for you. But you cannot choose there and keep coming here. Would it be very insulting to the pastor there? I ask you. It would be. For me to keep saying, come, 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 come. You know, I can feel very, well, I see people from another church, they come to our church. I'm not interested in that kind of thing. If you choose to commit, you must learn to dedicate now your energies, your time, your commitment, your friendships, build it there. But my friends are here. Then you choose here. Right? You cannot choose. But I, if I come here, can I serve there? These are questions that you all do not know I face and I deal with it and people say, this is a very unloving pastor. How would you like if your child comes to me? Your child comes and says, you know what, pastor, I do, I do not want, I'm born in this Tan family. Huh? You got any Tans here? Okay, now I'm talking about you. I'm not thinking of any Tan. I'm born in Tan family. But actually, I want to go to the Lim family every day or every week. I'll be there. How, pastor? Of course, I say, no, you should not do that. Right? 
any normal person because of the failure to understand what baptism, what church membership means, you have all these kind of problems. Right? So once I was attacked very badly about not doing, not doing marriage counselling for a couple. Very, people were very angry at me. Not doing marriage counselling for a couple. Because the couple, I asked the couple, well, I'm very happy to do it for you, um, but I need to know which church do you intend to be part of when you come to Australia? Oh, I'm going to the other church. So I say, then you should ask the other church pastor to do it for you, do it with you all. Why? Ben, why? Your convictions. My convictions can be very different from the church you're going to. Right? So, does it make sense that I do it for you? So, I was again labeled very unloving. Well, if not part of your church, won't do, won't do marriage counseling. What kind of pastor is this? Pastor do for everybody one. <laughs> but I do not want to cause problems. Do you understand? I will teach what I believe is a covenantal family. The person goes there and all these things and says, no, no, this is our family, this is how we're going to be. The pastor says, no, 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 what is going to happen? There will be confusion, unhappiness. If you choose to be part of that, then you build your convictions with them. Correct? Otherwise, there will be a lot of unhappiness. And it's pointless because after that, you're there. Then what, you keep coming to ask me again? But you're there. <laughs> when you come and ask me, I will give you my answer from the Bible. And you go, but my pastor there says No. Does it end? I say, you chose to be there, be there. It has nothing to do with, you don't want to be my, with my church. Huh? Okay, that I don't do for you. <laughs> it's not that. Because people do not understand what it means, baptism or church membership, what it means. They choose to be part of that people. All right? So that's one, commitment. Now number two, what else can you think of? What else can you think of? Adar. What else can you think of in terms of baptism? Now I become part of... So this is point number one, right? Solemn admission of party into the visible church. What else? You become a church member. What else do you, can you think of that should remind us about what church membership is about? Say again? Accountability. Very good. Well, how come you're so... So on tonight. <laughs> Commitment, the first one. Accountability, the second one. What do you mean by accountability? Accountability. When you look out for one another, you look out for one another. When someone else falls into sin, you help the person. And sometimes help can mean pointing out. Sometimes help can be um, patiently helping the person to understand over time before long-suffering. Right? So there is accountability to one another. You cannot say, I don't care. You cannot, after fellowship, after worship, you just go home. I don't care about knowing anyone. Failure to understand that baptism is to make you a part of God's people the, in the covenant Will make failure to understand that will make you think that really after church I can just go home. I don't really need to know people in church. How would you like to belong to a family that's like that? I just go there and eat, and then after that, I, I leave the house. 
I'll do whatever I want to do. So there is accountability. There is um, a looking out for one another. Accountability also means you cannot reject help. Understand that? People can reject help, you know. Don't marry an unbeliever. It's none of your business. Why is church such busybody? Why do church tell me these things? Who I want to marry has nothing to do with church. Membership means accountability for one another. All right? So sometimes it's like that. You have to receive help and must be willing to help. Now that is another thing about, about church. We must build a commitment to care, love, help one another. It has to be there. Love doesn't mean, uh, love doesn't mean encourage the person to sin. Right? Love is help the person to love Christ more. That is what it is. Alright, so baptism, I hope the first part is, is clear to us that like the Old Testament, it replaces um, circumcision. They took being part of God's people very seriously. Very, very seriously. Alright? So the Gentiles who became part of them, they will be treated just like they were born a Jew. God says that. Treat them like one that is born in a tribe. That's it. So there is that family involved. Alright, so I think um, that's all we can cover today. The next time we come back, we'll continue on the other aspects of what does baptism mean? Do you remember when you stood up here and water was sprinkled on you? What was going through your mind? So if someone asks you now, Alex, what does baptism mean? Why do Christians get baptized? Can you explain from, from, a, from the bottom of your heart? It's like someone asks you, why do you get married? Don't know. Everybody gets married. So I think it's the right thing to do. There'll be things that you will say from the bottom of your heart. Same for baptism. All right? Let us pray.